Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. In this episode, we are having a discussion on Christmas and Advent recordings and albums and records that you can be listening to during this Advent and Christmas season. And as our guests, we have John Ahern and Paul Buckley. And all the recordings that they mentioned today will be easily found in the show notes. We really hope that you enjoy this conversation, and we want to thank you so much for listening. And here are John Ahern and Paul Buckley discussing Advent and Christmas recordings. Welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. We are in the season of Advent, moving towards Christmas. And with the season of Advent, we wanted to take a quick episode to recommend some records, some albums that you can be listening to um, with your family or in your car or wherever you may find yourself. And we have with us today John Ahern and Paul Buckley. John Ahern is a graduate student pursuing a PhD in musicology from Princeton. And Paul Buckley is the one to thank for an introduction to chanting and for some of our settings in our recent Theopolis Liturgy and Psalter. Before we begin this conversation about good Advent or Christmas recordings, we'd like to know what your standards are for what makes a good Advent or Christmas song or record or recording or, or piece of music. John, do you have any thoughts about that to start us off? That's an easy question. Um, that, that was sarcasm. That, it's not a very easy question. I, you know, it's, it's easy to recognize it, uh, when it's bad and maybe it's not easy to explain exactly why I, I, there's one thing that always comes to my mind when it comes to Christmas carols. That's a line, uh, by a fellow named, um, let me see if I can find it, uh, Percy Dearmer, who was, I think, a um, uh, an ethnographer of English folk music and a musicologist at the beginning of the 20th century, but he helped to um, first catalog Christmas carols in this seminal volume, uh, Oxford Book of Carols. Uh, if you don't own the Oxford Book of Carols, it's relatively cheap these days to get it. Um, it was first published in 1928 by him and Rafe Von Williams, uh, and it was it was one of the first times that people took seriously the need to write down English folk carols. But, but um, Percy Dearmer in the introduction defines carols this way. He says, they're songs with a religious impulse that are simple, hilarious, popular, and modern. And I, I think that when I first read that, that they are, they're, a song, they're songs with religious impulse that are simple, hilarious, popular, and modern. That kind of graded against my sensibility a little bit, but, but the more I come back to that, there's important truth to that. And that is that, you know, for all that I can love the King's College albums and so on and so forth, you know, Bob Dylan's Christmas albums actually do fit that bill perfectly well. Um, simple, hilarious, popular, and modern. And that is something that's true of Christmas carols throughout um, the ages. There's something about uh, Christmas and church music that when they intersect, Christians have always felt that uh, something a little bit uh, more uh, hilarious and folksy is in order. Uh, that goes all the way back to the Middle Ages. There's this famous, there's this famous procession in I think France where you would in, you would like get a donkey involved and and little boys would become priests and it, that there was this silliness to the the Christmas celebrations then. So I'm kind of undercutting your whole question. I'm saying maybe there are no standards for what makes a good Christmas carol. But but all that to say, I, I think a good Christmas carol, it does have a folk element to it. There is a vernacular element to it. There is, I think, a lot of narrative to it. You know, it's it, it's not like 
super theology heavy necessarily uh, in a lot of Christmas carols. Uh, you're actually just telling a, a very simple story that a three-year-old or a four-year-old could understand. That's why, you know, to my mind, the best Christmas carol is "O Come, All Ye Faithful," because uh, you you get an incredible combination of um, a beautiful story being told in in a way that a three or four year old could understand Christmas in in that carol, and yet it's also quoting the Nicene Creed. Uh, it's quoting like the headiest the headiest parts of the Nicene Creed about um, about the uh, hypostatic union and all uh, the Trinitarian theology, and it, man- it manages to cram both of those aspects into a single. Uh, Christmas Carol, it, in a way, it's a beautiful uniting of, of form and content in that you, you've got God coming to be a man, and this Christmas Carol is is uniting this heraldic uh, imagery, heraldic discourse with a very kind of down-to-earth, here's a simple story, uh, and, and you can get it. I think that combination of, of those two factors uh, really makes an, an electrifyingly good Christmas Carol. I'm 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 so happy that O Come All You Faithful is at, is at the top of your list because um, when I um, in in my first few years of directing music and worship here uh, when I was preparing Christmas Eve services and we don't sing O Come All You Faithful until um, Christmas Eve and when I would type the words in uh, Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. Um, I, I would simply be moved to tears because I think <laughs> I am blessed among all men that I get to put words like this in the ears and mouths and I trust hearts of children mm-hmm. in the congregation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that um, I think that's a fantastic one. And the, the other one that I would put at the top of the list um, that I as far as I know, is the finest English language carol. That is a, a carol that is native to the language, uh, would be Wesley's Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and for some of the same reasons. In a way, when I think about what makes a good carol, uh, let me say this as a you know a, a good music director in a church, that it, whatever it says needs to be true, which doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be said with scientific precision, uh, we're talking uh, about a poetic medium, but it, it needs to be true. And I mean, for that reason, um, you know, I've never used something like um, We Three Kings in a liturgy, mm-hmm. um, even though I think there's I think there's worth to that carol um, mm-hmm. on other grounds. And and uh, I mean, there are other things that are true about it that I still would want kids and others to know um, musically. I know we're going to mention John Rutter in, in all of this. R- Rutter said one time about the challenge of writing a hymn is that you've you've got to write something that's three or four or five lines long and lifts off, comes to a climactic moment, and then resolves again and is able to bear repetition across four, five, six, seven verses. And what he says of hymns, I think, is generally true of carols as well, whatever that music it is, however simple it might be, it has to have some sort of interest and bear the repetition of multiple verses. When I think about uh, what what makes a good Christmas recording, I think most of what I'm going to mention is choral. So, you know, generally I'm, I'm looking for a good choral sound, uh, good 
good tone, good um, diction and enunciation. I can hear consonants and not just vowels. I think something that Jim Jordan has said to me and others several times could be helpful here, and that's that there can be music that's music that's not necessarily appropriate for the Sunday liturgy that works mm-hmm. and is appropriate around a campfire or in people's homes. Which is why, I mean, a recording like, like Sufjan Stevens' Christmas records have a tonal quality to them that's playful, as if it's just a bunch of friends playing and singing music in a house. And those songs make a lot of sense in that context, but most of them would not be appropriate for the Sunday liturgy. So that's something also to keep in mind with when you're discussing some of this music. Absolutely. And I think that Christmas is, is one of the rare instances. We have it still in, in the modern West they've sort of dwindled as, as time has gone along, but it's one of the rare instances where, where we have a religious music, which doesn't necessarily go in church, right? I mean, I, we tend to think that if there is any religious music, it doesn't it belong in church. Um, you know, I guess maybe actually like contemporary Christian radio would also be in this category, but, but, you know, it, it, we, we still have nowadays all sorts of, relatively religious Christmas carols, um, which we wouldn't necessarily put in a, in a church service. Like We Three Kings is a great example of that. Um, I, I mean, some people might put that in a Christmas service, but I, I would agree with Paul. That, that seems kind of like, let's say, a liminal <laughs> liminal case. I'm not sure I would want to put that in like a, a Sunday morning worship service or what's another one like uh, Away in the Manger, I think it has that same quality where you know, absolutely. I'm teaching that to my three-year-old right now. It's a it's a wonderful carol, but it's also um, it's also very much a, a didactic children's carol, and it's not necessarily something that's um, 100% what I would do in a Sunday morning service. But the other thing about this is that that Christmas is intimately connected with this wonderful service that I think only started about 100 years ago, the Lessons and Carol service that that I think began in, in England. The, the ceremony of nine lessons and carols is now incredibly popular all sorts of places. But you know, it's it's one of the triumphs of of Protestant aesthetics. I think is that you know we don't have a Roman Catholic mass on Christmas Eve because uh, we can't bind your conscience to come to a, a mass service. <laughs> so we have this we have this optional uh, lessons and carol service where we just read the covenantal history of the Bible and then you sing your heart out to carols. And it doesn't have to have all of the high solemnity of a mass service or divine liturgy. It can just be, you know, you ha- you, you, here you are singing your favorite carols and you, and you hear uh, scripture read. And at the end of that service, of course, the last reading is always John 1. And the, and the carol that comes right afterwards is O come all ye faithful. And like Paul said, those words, I, they, you know, in the final verse, they destroy me, particularly when they are set to the David Wilcox arrangement. I'm sure we're going to talk about David Wilcox in, in just a moment. Along these lines, um, I'd like to recommend a, um, an hour-long BBC program that can be found on um, YouTube for people who would like to follow up some of the historical matter a little bit more. And uh, this is something else that we can put in the blog post, whatever, later. But um, the title of it is Sacred Music at Christmas. And um, the host of it is Simon Russell Beale, B-E-A-L-E. And um, the choir that is featured on there is uh, a very fine uh, British choir, the 16. 
directed by Harry Christophers. There's only so much history you can cover in an hour, but it moves from Gregorian chant up to the present day and the intersection of liturgical music and folk music at Christmas. And that's something else people might enjoy following up on. So um, a a lot of the, the music that we're talking about today is not necessarily music that we, or at least I would um, include in a Sunday liturgy or even in a, in a Christmas Eve um, liturgy, but, um, um, or I might, if, if I have a choir of certain abilities, but a lot of the music we're talking about um, is um, strictly speaking choral, but something to be listened to, something to be enjoyed. So guys, take it away. John, maybe maybe start us off with your first recommendation for Christmas and Advent music listening. What records would you recommend for us? Oh, um, <clears throat> too many. I, I think I, I looked at my Spotify playlist the other day and it was something like uh, 36 hours of, of nonstop, m- mainly medieval <laughs> Christmas music. And everybody else <laughs> hates this playlist but me, but you know... Uh, the ones that uh, the ones that I love and the ones that that um, I think are just slam dunk winners for anyone who listens to them. I, you know, we, uh, we had the whole big long podcast with David Irv about the Pretorius album. That's that's one big Christmas album. Yes. There, yeah. there's a lot of music in there. That maybe we won't be familiar with, but there's a lot of more well known carols in there as well. Um, and I, you know, I, it isn't coincidental that like the best vision of church music is contained within the best Christmas albums. It's like mm-hmm. Christmas music for some reason. It's so awesome that it elicits uh, everything good about about church music. So, anyways, yeah, that that's um, Paul McCreech's um, Mass for Christmas Morning. Paul McCreech is the director, and the the composer is Michael Pretorius. Um, and, uh, that one has to be sort of at the top of my list. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll just leave it at that and kick it over to Paul and see what, see what he says. Well, um, like you, I've, I've got too many to name that, that might be in a top slot, but, uh, I'm going to start by recommending a recording of the more usual fair Christmas fair, um, done by John Rutter and the Cambridge singers. Um, I would say that overall, any recording that Rudder and the Cambridge Singers have made of Christmas music is um, worth a listen, whatever one might think of some of Rudder's own music, um, because all of those recordings um, feature a lot more music than, than just his own or even his own arrangements of uh, traditional carols. One of the best, I think, um, from them is titled Christmas Star. And um, if I'm not mistaken, it was the first recording that Rudder and the Cambridge Singers made together. Um, back in the 80s, I think it's been remastered since then. It was recorded in the Lady Chapel at um, Ely Cathedral. I came across it because it was recommended by, I believe, none other than James B. Jordan, who said that in a, in a world of tinselly Christmas arrangements, um, this one was actually quite nice. And um, it does include some of um, Rudder's music on it, um, mostly his arrangements, but it also includes things like Low How a Rose Air Blooming, All My Heart This Night Rejoices, a great um, uh, German hymn. And um, that disc was actually my introduction to 
some Christmas music that wasn't Hark the Herald Angels Sing or Oh Come All You Faithful, although All Come All You Faithful is on there. Mm. But that's um, a, a wonderful recording with some wonderful arrangements on it of um, some standard and um, maybe for some English speakers, uh, not quite so standard fare. Yeah, I that his albums, I have to say, are also you know, they were a big part of my childhood. They're, they were really good introduction to a wide variety of Christmas music. I think that if you've been turned off by John Rutter's own, how shall I put it, somewhat Disney style of um, composition, you, you know, I, I can't remember all the donkey carol and, and those sorts of things. Uh, those right. aren't necessarily my favorite. If you're like me, um, maybe maybe you don't like that, but actually his, his Christmas albums in which he just has a wide selection of stuff are really phenomenal. And I, I, I'm not sure if it's the one that Paul is talking about, but on one of those, he has just the most incredible setting of in Dulce Jubilo, um, which is like, um, good Christian men rejoice. Absolutely heartrendingly gorgeous uh, stuff. Yeah. That's, um, that's on Christmas night. Um, most of what I mentioned, by the way, um, for better or for worse, is available on YouTube if people um, want to look it up. But that arrangement of uh, In Dulce Jubilo leads off Christmas night. Again, that's a recording from the 80s, but uh, Rudder, during coronavirus time, looking for something else to do, remastered that. And that's just out recently. And as a note, anyone listening, the, all of these recordings uh, will be in... Uh, the show notes. Uh, so you'll be able to find all of these recordings easily. Yeah, I have to say the, the next one that immediately comes to my mind is uh, Folkule. So this is, that's spelled mm. F-O-L-K-J-U-L. Um, and if you if you haven't heard Folkule, uh, it's like a Swedish Christmas album. Uh, it, it will change your life the way it's changed mine. <laughs> Um, it, it, especially like the the last track. I mean, I, I can barely even talk about the last track because it it it's just it makes me cry every time like a baby. It's it's incredible. It's O Come O Come Emmanuel is the very last track, and at the very end it features um, Swedish Kuling, which is like um, this old uh, quasi musical um, folk art thing it, mm-hmm. where like in the fjords of sweden uh women would have to like sing at the top of their lungs and at the top of their range super high in order to get the cows to come home or whatever um that was like that that shrill piercing sound at the very top of their register and it like became a quasi musical form so it features at the very end of this this uh recording it's it's life-changing in fact um that whole recording it's done by an organist named uh, Gunnar Idenstam, and he's a, he's a Swedish organist who his background is like three things. Um, it's Swedish folk music, which sounds a kind of like we would call it Celtic, maybe. It's got that kind of folksy vibe. Um, that's one one aspect of it. The other is rock, uh, like metal, hard rock. He was like a rock <laughs> organist for a long time. And then the third is Olivier Messiaen, who you know, is my and James Jordan's favorite composer. We've got to mention him uh, several times in this podcast, I'm sure. But so those three things, uh, you know, Olivier Messiaen is this um, crazy, practically atonal Catholic mystical composer from the 20th century. Those three things combined to just the most unbelievable supernova explosion of musical energy that just is mm-hmm. riveting through the whole album. And it can go from super cozy to... Uh, Revelation 5 style, just 
crazy. Uh, I don't even know how to how to, how to explain it. it. It feels like you're you're being completely uh, overwhelmed by by a sense of divine awesomeness. I, I, I'm at a loss for words. It just excites me so much to even think about. It. So yes, you got to check out this album, uh, Folk Yule. There's a, there's a second one that isn't quite as good, but it's also pretty good. It's Folk Yule 2 is what it's called. But yeah, Swedish Christmas Gunnar Idensum. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, come back with something in English again, uh, for the most part, um, an American Christmas by the Boston Camarada, directed by Joel Cohen. Um, John, do you know this recording? Yeah, that's such a great album. I, you, I'm jealous you stole it. Yes, that's great. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no. Well, you don't be you sorry. have something to, to add to this. The the um, this is a, a a disc or whatever medium you get it in that spans a century of American music, 1770 to 1870, and um, uh, some of that American music is clearly imported from Europe, but has been um, transfigured in in one way or another. Um, one of the attractions, I think. On this recording, part of the problem with I mean, we're supposed to be talking about Advent and Christmas recordings. Good luck finding a bunch of recordings of, strictly speaking, Advent music. Um, those are just not as plentiful as Christmas music, apart from, say, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which certainly appears on, on plenty of recordings. But this American Christmas recording by the Boston Camerata includes... Um, a fair number of things that really can be classified as Advent. They are meditations on judgment and John the Baptist and death and the second coming, so forth. And um, of particular interest, perhaps for Theopolis folks, people in the Biblical Horizons world, because we have sung this um, in the liturgy often, is the tune Bozra, um, who is this that comes from far? And it's a fantastic version of it there as, as well as a lot more. Um, John, you have something that you want to add about that one? Oh, I mean, yeah, you, you've covered it great. It's What I love about the Boston Camerata in particular is that their vocal style, the way that they sing uh, in that early American sound is it's not ugly and it's not uh it's not like grating but it's certainly more raw and real and like you could sort of picture if you know me and 20 of my relatives got together in a living room on, on christmas eve and saying this is sort of what it would sound like um yes. it's it's pleasant you know it's not it's not unpleasant but it's it's also not that kind of like um you know english choir boy almost annoyingly pure and good sound that uh, that occasionally you hear here in a christmas album it's 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 just a very refreshing uh i don't know it, it feels very american it feels like like i can picture a winter in new england in the 18th or 19th century and just people recreationally singing all these lovely carols I, and what you said about Advent albums is, is very true. I mean, I can think of maybe one album off the top of my head. There's a King's College um, Advent album that's pretty good. But yeah, there, there really isn't 
there aren't too many Advent albums. If, if there are any uh, aspiring musicians listening to this podcast, please give us some more Advent and Christmas albums. Um, that, that would, that's a big lacuna that needs to be filled. I was going to say that another way to characterize this American Christmas recording is that it's a Southern Harmony Christmas. That's not true yes. of um, uh, every piece on there, but that's very much the sound world of a lot of it. Uh, so the next recommendation I have is it's sort of all time favorite, and that is uh, it's it's a let's see favorite carols from kings. It's produced. It's it's done by Philip Ledger and Sir David Wilcox. So King's College, King's College, uh, Cambridge, has the corner on the market in terms of the best choral Christmas music out there, um, and uh, and this this album just really perfectly captures, I think, what they do so well. And that is, you know, if I think about the three things that I want to see in good church music, it is that I want it to be very participatory oriented. Uh, you know, not just professional, but participatory. Uh, at the same time, I want it to be polyphonic. I want there to be a kind of professional musicianship polyphonically layered on top of it. And then I also want it to sort of have a combination of both traditional and contemporary elements. And if I think about this album, it has all three of those things. I, I, you know, it, it, there there are carols here where you just, you want to sing along with them. It's, it's absolutely lovely. Uh, it, in that sense, it's participatory. Uh, you also have the most uh, the most beautiful descants ever written or conceived by by David Wilcox. And a descant, just to remind you, uh, is is where the sopranos in the choir sing this stratospheric melody on top of the of the carol. So the congregation singing the carol, and on the final verse, uh, they're joined by these sopranos singing a, a counter melody. And it can be kind of a cheesy thing, uh, you know, in a lot of American mainline churches, sometimes you just hear a perfunctory death camp that's meant to just pump your blood up a little bit on the last verse. Um, but when David Wilcox does it, it is it is a thing of surpassing beauty. I remember uh, the first time my my church did one as a kid, we did the David Wilcox, O Come All Ye Faithful. I just remember the electricity in the room. I remember all the little four, five, six girls just like, you know, standing up and looking around and saying, where is this sound coming from? What's happening? Because it's, it's, it's an incredible thing when you're singing this carol, this, this tune, you know, so well, and suddenly it's, it's almost defamiliarized by this mm -hmm. other melody. And, and you get just the slightest bit of dissonance from there. And it, it makes that, which was, you know, we've all sung these carols a, a trillion times, but it makes that which was was overly familiar suddenly become new and fresh again. Um, so that aspect of it, I just absolutely love. And then the, the last part, the contemporary part, there's there's, you know, always a fair amount in these King's College recordings. There's a fair amount of new music. Um, I mean, Herbert Howells is not super new. He's like early 20th century, but his stuff has already become more or less uh, classic in in the the ears of, of Christmas music. Um, there are, you know, they oftentimes will include some avo parrot. They even commissioned avo parrot and it's, you know, now become a sort of modern classic. So if I just had to choose one album that, that perfectly synopsizes uh, what I want to see out of church music, this, this has got to be it. It's, it's really phenomenal. I think that King's college Cambridge has um, for some years commissioned a new carol every year. I think that's right, yeah. And uh, not just, as, as you indirectly pointed out, not just from 
Anglican composers, Arvind Parrott, John Taverner, I forget who else offhand uh, who might be out, outside the Church of England. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's always something. You, you want contemporary Christian music, there's always something there. I, I don't know what they will do this month, but I'm sure that there will be something brand new that's part of it. John Taverner is another great, his, his Carol the Lamb uh, is yes. another great example of, of one that has just, you know, I, what, last 20 or 30 years been composed, but it's become a, a classic more or less of, of Christmas carols. I was going to say one interesting thing um, on the Descants by Sir David Wilcox. The one for O Come All Ye Faithful actually actually shows up on the next to the last verse. And um, you might think that would be anticlimactic to have the big death cant on that verse, which is the sing choirs of angels verse. And yet what Wilcox does with the final verse, with a lot more harmonic change underlying as the, as the choir and congregation sing in unison is a powerful thing. I'm glad that um, you mentioned that recording uh, because one of the others that I was going to recommend, but uh, in a sense, yours is probably a, a, a better all-round recommendation, is um, a recording of the actual service of nine lessons and carols at King's College, Cambridge, under Stephen Cleoberry, who died just within the past what year and a half or so. So on that recording, you actually get the readings. But, um, you know, this is the sort of thing, too, that you can find um, for, I think, just about every year of Nine Lessons and Carols at, at Cambridge on YouTube, and including going back. Uh, there's an old recording from back in the 50s, I think, when Boris Ord was still the director there. And um, I would just add to that that one of the wonderful things about listening to the whole service from Cambridge is that the um, the readers, this is not a point about music so much, but the readers typically really know how to read. They read really, really well. And it's it's not just the, the lovely accent that is uh, bewitching me, but they really do know how to, to read scripture well as if they want it to be heard. So I, I recommend those. Um, there's a, um, this is not um, a recording. Well, I think you can probably get it as a, just a recording. Um, but there's um, St. Olaf College um, up in Minnesota, which has a, uh, a great longstanding choral tradition, does a big Christmas program every year. Typically, I think it's on um, PBS. But they did one several years ago. Um, in Norway at the um, Niraros uh, Cathedral, and um, you can you can find that on YouTube, and um, it's about an hour long. And um, uh, do I think that everything on the program is of equal worth? No, but it's it's in a beautiful setting, sung by a couple of choirs that. Uh, are, are top-notch, the resident girls' choir at that Norwegian cathedral, as well as at the other end, um, the American College Choir from Minnesota. But it's a wide-ranging program. There are spirituals. You can hear the great Moses Hogan's arrangement of This Little Light of Mine. Um, but that's a, a beautiful uh, program, well worth an hour of a family's time this season to simply sit down and enjoy that. Do we, do we want to say anything about, um, I'd like to mention 
a couple of uh, a handful of pieces in particular that that people might enjoy following up on. A couple of them are um, Advent anthems, choral pieces. Uh, the first one is "Even So, Lord Jesus, Quickly Come" by uh, Paul Manns, M-A-N-Z, who wrote the piece when his um, his toddler, I believe, was gravely ill, and they were worried that he was going not going to make it, but he did. But that's um, a beautiful, um, longing Advent choral piece with um, texts based more or less on passages from the Revelation. A much older piece is um, Rejoice in the Lord Alway. Um, there's a great setting mm-hmm. of that by um, Henry Purcell, of course, but um, I'm thinking of one that is uh, actually anonymous. We're not quite sure who wrote it. Um, it shows up on some of those um, John Rutter recordings that I mentioned earlier. But it's a setting, of course, of Philippians 4, which is a traditional Advent epistle text. And then among very recent Christmas pieces, I would like to recommend that uh, everyone experience at least once the American composer Morton Lauridson's Omanium Mysterium. This is a text that has been set innumerable times before Lauridson, most famously by Tomas Luis de Victoria, but the Lauridsons is a is a gorgeous setting of um, of this Latin text, and then um, a young uh, or youngish English composer Philip Stopford did a new setting um, just a few years ago of what most of us know as the uh, Coventry Carol. Um, the title of Stopford's is Luli Lula Lule. And it's not a replacement for that um, music that um, that I love from what half a millennium ago, but it is a um, a beautiful new setting, and uh, I'll provide a link to a performance by um, Voces Eight, um, an English ensemble. Well, if Paul gets to say all his favorite individual pieces, <laughs> I get to <laughs> as well, right? Uh, yeah, if, if we're if we're lifting up uh, individual pieces that we like, of course, I'm going to mention Josquin Desprez, the greatest composer to ever live. Um, I can't I can't let a, a podcast go by about Christmas without mentioning him. So Josquin Desprez, we've all heard of him, right? And it, well, we all should have heard of him. He's he's a really phenomenal composer from the bridge between the 15th and 16th century. So that's spelled J-O-S-Q-U-I-N, Josquin. And he, he wrote a piece called Praetor Rerum Serium. I first heard about this piece on an episode of Ken Myers. I forget who now he was interviewing, but it was about this piece, and it, he put me onto it. And the, and the guy he was interviewing talks about the text of, of the motet, Praetor Rerum Serium. It means beyond the natural order of things. Um, the, the medievals really had a very constant emphasis on Christmas as a bizarre event. How, you know, from a Neoplatonic perspective, how can this how can this be that you've got a, a transcendent God be, becoming finite? That mystery creates a kind of mood in the music that is is almost like perseverating over some something that's so mysterious and incredible that you can't 
possibly figure it out. And you listen to the opening of, of Josquin's Praetorarum Serium, and it just starts with these basses singing like really low, and they, they keep perseverating over this one melody over and over again, and it sort of gradually grows out and expands into something gorgeous. Um, the other one, Gaudete, now from the 16th or 17th century, mm. it'll get stuck in there for weeks. Uh, I remember uh, teaching this one to a, a, a choir, uh, an adult choir, like a you know a church choir, and um, you know six months later at like a summer camp, I heard a whole bunch of kids singing, like like you know ten year old kids singing Gaudete, and I realized oh they're all the kids of the adult who are in my choir, like their parents got it stuck in their head. And then, like their kids started singing this carol in Latin from the 17th century. It's pretty, pretty phenomenal. So check out Gaudete. Um, it's a really catchy, uh, wonderful midi- uh, Renaissance carol. And then the last one is, I think, composed in the last 50 years by a, a female Scottish composer named Judith Weir, um, Illuminare Jerusalem. Illuminare, Illuminare Jerusalem. Uh, it's it's a it's like that medieval Josquin approach. It's kind of weird, and it's uh, it's it's built off of a musical scale called the octatonic scale, which which makes it sound quite strange. But um, every every once in a while, this this musical text, uh, I mean, this musical bit comes back to the text, "Illuminare Jerusalem," you know, uh, uh, "Shine your light, Jerusalem," or, or whatever the translation would be, and uh, it's. It's uh, a really phenomenal, more modern, dissonant carol, but but it's another one that's easy to get stuck in your head, and, and you'll be humming it to yourself like a madman. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get overly pedantic, but is there a way that you would recommend people listen to some of these recordings? I would say don't overthink it. You know, I used to be a big... Um, Roger Scruton style uh, performance of of no background music ever, uh, I, and I've sort of softened a little bit on that. I think that mm-hmm. uh, I actually have my my advisor at Princeton. You know, he's world expert on fifteenth century music, and uh, and he he sort of shocked and scandalized me when he said, "Yeah, I just listen to this stuff in the background all the time." He said, "Music is yes. powerful. It, it it will arrest your attention at a certain point, and you'll be like, oh, wow, that's really interesting.' But it, you know, if it washes over you, you'll come back to it another time, and it will make more sense then. So, I, you know, I I would say, of course, attentive listening is a good thing. But you know, I wouldn't give yourself a hard time if you listen to it and, while you're doing dishes. I do the same thing. I don't know. What do you think, Paul? Am I have a certain heresy? No, I, you know, for, uh, for me, um, for most of the recordings that I'm talking about, it actually would be difficult for me to simply have it on in the background because it would need to be low enough for conversation to happen, uh, let's say. Um, and the dynamic contrasts are so great that that means parts of it would simply be inaudible. And I, most of this I, I would actually want to sit and listen to. But, you know, I do, I do have recordings the like of Celtic Harp by Kim Robertson or Hammer Dulcimer, um, Maggie Sansone playing carols, that sort of thing. I do love to have on, you know, during dinner or conversation or something. Those are beautiful. There are occasional times when I find myself just, I have to remind myself that these things are impressing themselves on me and my kids, even if I'm not giving it my full 
my full attention. And I often think about nostalgia. My kids are in their 20s and 30s and their 40s. If they smell coffee, they're going to think about dad. And I want them to have certain things where if they hear it, they they are brought back to home or to church. And if I think about all, all the Christmas music that, that we've talked about today, I, I think to myself, yeah, these are things that I have heard every year since I was zero years old. And, you know, it's, it's almost like just now they're, they're really sinking in as something meaningful to me. So, yeah, it, it takes mm. years and years. And like you said, nostalgia plays a massive role in that. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.